0: Amen. Thank you, ladies. Well, if you would take your Bible at this time and turn to Isaiah chapter number nine, we're going to read verse number six, but a couple other ones as well. <coughs> Isaiah nine. And uh, if you would join me in standing for the reading of God's word, once you find that, Isaiah nine. And we're going to read uh, verses six and seven actually today. Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. And the word of God says this For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And let's pray again. Lord, thank you for uh, now your word. Uh, Thank you for this passage of scripture. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would guide and direct. And uh, Lord, I pray that you'd hide me behind the cross. Um, Lord, I pray that the message would be abundantly clear this morning. And I pray, Lord, that as a result, you draw us all closer to you. Uh, If there's someone here who needs salvation, Lord, I pray that they would understand their need for for Christ and that they would come to him uh, in faith today. And then for those of us, Lord, who maybe have drifted from the Lord, that, Lord, you would draw us closer to you and that you'd bring us back home. And Lord, for those of us who are in a good spot in our relationship with you, Lord, help us to still learn and to grow as a result of uh, the time together in your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. A couple of weeks ago, we started a series entitled uh, A Thrill of Hope. And uh, that comes from the song, my favorite Christmas song of all time, O Holy Night. And the in that song, that phrase "a thrill of hope" is mentioned in reference to the fact that Jesus was coming to save mankind from their sin. And we've looked at several aspects of hope already in this series. We uh, first talked about the promised hope and and how Jesus was the fulfillment of all the promises in the Old Testament regarding the Messiah. We looked at the place of his birth. Well, Jesus fulfilled. All of those, the way in which Jesus was to be born through a virgin, uh, he fulfilled all of those and really all the different prophecies regarding Jesus, uh, where he was going to be, where he was going to have to spend some time in Egypt, that was fulfilled. And then he was going to grow up in Nazareth. Well, that was fulfilled. And really over and over and over again, we see in the New Testament and particularly in Matthew chapter one and two. How it says, and this was fulfilled, this was fulfilled, this was fulfilled. He, he was the promised hope, and he fulfilled all of those promises regarding his birth, regarding his life, regarding his death, regarding his resurrection, and even in his ascension. And he is yet to fulfill the promise regarding his second coming, but rest assured, he will fulfill those promises as well. And then last Sunday, we talked about how Anna was waiting for hope. Anna the prophetess in Luke chapter number 2 an often overlooked aspect of the Christmas story. We took some time to examine this, this dear, precious old lady, older lady um, who was about 84 years old-ish and uh, and how she waited for the, the coming of the Messiah. And then she got to experience and see the fact that Jesus it, was here and he was the fulfillment of those prophecies and uh, just the joy that that brought her. And she gave her time, if you remember, and she gave thanks. And then she ultimately gave truth as she took that truth to those around her. Well, now today we're going to look at the ultimate hope, the ultimate hope. And uh, as we consider the name of Christ here in verse number six, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. We're going to find out that that points to the fact that Jesus is not just a hope, but he is the ultimate hope for mankind. When the 1960s ended, San Francisco's Hyatt-Ashbury district reverted to high rent. And so many of the hippies that used to live there moved down the coast to Santa Cruz. And they had children, and, and they got married, and uh, But they didn't name their children normal names like Melissa or Brett. Uh, People in the mountains around Santa Cruz grew accustomed to their children playing Frisbee with uh, children with names like Time Warp or Spring Fever. And eventually Moonbeam and Earth, Love, Precious Promise all ended up in public school. Well, that's when the kindergarten teachers first met a boy named Fruit Stand. So here was the deal. Every fall, according to tradition, parents bravely applied name tags to their children. They kissed them goodbye and sent them off to school on the bus. So it was for this boy named Fruit Stand. The teachers thought the boy's name was odd, but they tried to make the best of it. Would you like to play with the blocks? Fruit stand, they offered. And later, fruit stand, how about a snack? He accepted hesitantly. And by the end of the day, though, his name didn't seem much odder than Heather's name or Sunray's name. And at dismissal time, the teachers led the children out to the buses. Fruit stand, do you know which one is your bus? He didn't answer. Well, that wasn't exactly strange because he hadn't answered them all day long. Lots of children are shy on the very first day of school, but you know what? It didn't matter because the teachers had also instructed the parents to write the names of their children's bus stop on the reverse side of their name tag. So the teachers thought, well, this is easy. All I'm going to do is take Fruit Stan's um, name tag, and I'm going to turn around and find out what he- where his bus stop is, and that'll let us know where... Uh, which bus he needs to be on. So the teacher simply turned over the tag and there neatly printed was the word Anthony. (laughs) Now it would have been super helpful uh, for the boy's teacher to know what his real name was all day long. But it's even more critical for all of us to understand and to know what the name of our savior is. Now, names are obviously important, but there is no name more important than the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, in the book of Philippians, we find that he has a name which is above all names and that the name that every, every knee will bow and confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God. Now, there are, only, there are over 250 names or titles given to the Lord Jesus in the scriptures. And today we're actually going to look at the fivefold name given to him from Isaiah nine and verse number six. It's going to show us that Jesus was and is indeed the ultimate hope. Uh, let's look at these this fivefold name that God gave to the Lord Jesus. First of all, in verse number six, it says His name shall be called. The first one, the first aspect of His name listed here is wonderful. This is the first one listed, and that's significant. Um, it wasn't the last one mentioned. It was the very first one. Now, wonderful is obviously u- usually used as an adjective. When, when you were to, if you were to say, if someone were to call you this afternoon and, you, and they were to ask you, how was the service there at Cornerstone Baptist Church? And you would say, it was wonderful. I hope that's what you would say, uh, at least especially the one preaching. He was absolutely wonderful. No, I hope that you don't think about me when you go away from this place. I hope you think you go away thinking about him. That's my goal, obviously. Now, wonderful is usually used as an adjective, but here it is used as his name. and That's significant. Now, what what does the one word wonderful mean? It means marvelous thing. It, It is usually applied to anything that is great, or that is a miracle and obviously a very appropriate name given to the Lord Jesus because he is great. There is no one greater. A very appropriate name for our Savior. Now, what about our Savior makes him so wonderful that that would be part of his name? Well, very quickly here, I I see that his coming was wonderful. I mean, how he came into this world now, not not in the way the world would necessarily consider wonderful, especially when you consider how some uh, future royalty comes into this world and how they're treated. You think about ten years ago when Prince George was born back in 2013 in the Lind- Lindo Wing of St Mary's Hospital in London. I mean, here's the deal: the birth was announced by press press release and was followed by the display of traditional easel in the forecourt of Buckingham Palace. The newborn was highly, ha- widely hailed as a uh, future king in the majority of British newspapers. There were 21 gun salutes that signaled the birth in the capitals of Bermuda and New Zealand. and The bells of Westminster Abbey and many other churches were rung in celebration of the fact that he was born. Landmarks in the Commonwealth realms were illuminated in various colored lights, mostly blue, to signify the birth of a boy. And two days later, on the 24th of July, his name was announced as George Alexander Lewis. Prince George's official title and style is His Royal Highness Prince George of Cambridge. It's quite a name. Uh, which he has carried since birth. This all makes sense in a worldly sense, of course, because um, Prince George is heir to the throne. But Jesus, the king of the Jews, entered this world in a very different, in a very humble manner, did he not? I mean, you consider the fact is there was no press releases. There were no 21-gun salutes, no media coverage, just a an heavenly announcement to a bunch of lowly shepherds who came to see the newborn king of glory. He was laying in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn uh, in the little town of Bethlehem. So his coming was wonderful, not in maybe the worldly sense, but when you stop and think that, hey, his, his coming was very humble. And you know what? That's an encouragement to me because I'm not exactly Mr. Future King. Uh, miraculous story of the virgin birth. I mean, the way he came. You consider this. Jesus, of course, was born of the Virgin Mary. Well, no one before Jesus was born of a virgin and no one since has ever been born of a virgin. Only one person in all of history has been born of a virgin and that was the Lord Jesus. His coming was wonderful. His Not only was his coming wonderful, but his character was wonderful. You see, Jesus, of course, did not stay in that little manger. No, he grew and lived a life. But as he lived his life, Think about this for a second. He never sinned, not one single time. There was not a a moment where he ever thought something he should not have thought. There was never a time when he ever told a lie. There was never a time when he disobeyed the law of God or his parents or ever lied or cheated or stolen anything. No, Jesus was 100% sinless. The writer of Hebrews says it this way in Hebrews 4, 15. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. See, he was sinless. The apostle John said it this way in 1 John 1 and verse 5. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. See, his character was wonderful. He also was kind and compassionate. He went about doing good, uh, the Apostle Peter said. He was also very powerful. All told, there were around 38 miracles recorded in the Gospels as he healed people, as he raised the dead, as he uh, multiplied food. I mean, the feeding of the 5,000 and then also the 4,000. I mean, just all the different things that Jesus did in his life that we have recorded in the Gospels and 38 about 38 were recorded but but the apostle john said as he ended his record of the gospel account he said there are also many other things which jesus did the which if they should be written every one i suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written and then he concludes the whole record with this word amen <laughs> he said man if we really had the time to record everything that we saw jesus do There wouldn't be enough space on the planet to hold the books that would be written about them. So yes, his coming was wonderful. His character was wonderful. And then I I think about the fact that his charity was wonderful, his love that he uh, expressed to those around him, particularly those that were close to him. There in John chapter number 11, as Jesus is attending the funeral, so to speak, of one of his friends named Lazarus, the Bible simply says in the shortest verse of the Bible, who knows it? Jesus wept. Well, you know what the next verse says? As they saw him, then said the Jews, behold how he loved him. See, his charity was on display constantly and the no greater display though that took place in his life is when he uh, took our place on the cross of Calvary. Jesus said, "No, no great, greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends." And and Jesus did just that. He laid down his life as he uh, spread out his arms and let the Roman soldier put those spikes between uh, in, in his hands and in his feet. He laid down his life for us. He died so that we might live. First John three and verse sixteen says, "Hereby perceive we the love of God, because He." laid down his life for us. So his charity was wonderful. Um, and then I also think about his cause. His cause was wonderful. We know that this time of year is celebrating the fact that Jesus came to this earth, but, but why did he come to this earth? What was his big cause? Or why would God become flesh and dwell among us? Well, Jesus declared in his con- conversation with Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19, he said, for the son of man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. He, he came not so that he could just simply be a great example and a great teacher. He came to seek and to save you and I who were lost in our sin and so that he could set us free from our sin. Galatians 4, 4 through 5 says this, when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them, that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons so that we could become part of God's family. Praise the Lord that he was willing to do that. His coming was wonderful. His character was wonderful. His charity was wonderful. His cause was wonderful. And here is, pun intended, it's no wonder that his name would be called Wonderful. So he is the ultimate hope. Why? Because his name shall be called Wonderful. But Secondly, his name shall also be called... Counselor, counselor in verse number nine or verse number six of Isaiah chapter nine, unto us a son, a child is born, unto us a son is given, government shall be upon his shoulder, his name shall be called wonderful. And the second one mentioned here is counselor. See, Jesus was and is the great counselor in his first advent. You remember when Jesus in Luke chapter number two, we have the record of his birth. At the end of chapter number two, we have him as a 12-year-old young man. And at the end of chapter number two, we find him as a 12-year-old young man there in the temple. And what was he doing? He was sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And then the very next verse says, and all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So already as a 12-year-old young man, he was already becoming the great counselor. And then throughout his earthly ministry, I mean, we, we, we see him teaching and preaching and, and giving tremendous truth and, and giving counsel that uh, no one has ever heard before. And it's just blowing their minds as they're hearing him speak. He is the great counselor. Well, that was in the first coming. What about in the second coming? Well, as Jesus comes and rules and reigns for 1,000 years here on this earth, one promise in the in the scriptures regarding uh, how it's going to go. At that point, Psalm 33, verse 11 says, The counsel of the Lord standeth forever, the thoughts of his heart to all generation. When he rules and reigns, his counsel will stand. And uh, people might not like it, but it's going to stand. A couple aspects that the word counselor, the name counselor, speaks of. It It speaks, first of all, of his worthiness. Albert Barnes, in his commentary on this particular aspect of his name, says, Counselor denotes one of honorable rank, one who is suited to stand near princes and kings as their advisor. So we here we have the Lord Jesus who stands worthy to be my counselor and your counselor. He is worthy to have that place in your life. He has the greatest rank there is. He is indeed suited to stand near anyone to be their advisor. So it speaks of his worthiness. It also speaks of his wisdom. Uh, No one was more wise than the Lord Jesus. I know that the wisest man who ever lived outside of the Lord Jesus was a man by the name of Solomon who asked for wisdom. But Jesus had wisdom because he is God. He has all wisdom. In 1 John 3 and verse 20, for if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Isaiah 40 and verse 28, hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. One more verse here, one more reference, Psalm 147.5 says it this way, Great is our Lord, and of great power His understanding is infinite. Have you ever noticed when you're reading through the Gospels that Jesus Christ, while here on earth, never had to apologize one time? Never had to say, oh, I'm sorry about that. He never made a mistake. He never did an (laughs) oopsie-daisy. He was perfect. He had all wisdom because he is the Lord. And it speaks also of his work, this name Counselor. We we know that his name would be called Counselor. Why, why is that significant for you and for me today? Well, since he is worthy and since he has all wisdom, he then is able to give us counsel for our lives right here, right now. His work in our lives is that he would be our greatest counselor, our greatest source of counsel and advice. Now, I know when we, many of us go through difficult times, we like to maybe phone a friend, use a lifeline. I'm going to use a lifeline, I'm going to call my friend and try to get some advice on how to handle this situation. And 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 look, there's nothing wrong with having some good friends around and and there's some even biblical principle of having a multitude of counselors. That's that th- those are good things. But but listen, here's the deal. I, I'm not opposed to going to see a professional counselor once in a while to help with a specific issue and need, so long as they are first. We are first seeking the help of the great counselor, and that counselor that they are going to will point them to the great counselor. It, look. I know that sometimes we need to go see someone to really help us through some issues that maybe happened in the past but I'm telling you for those of us who have the great counselor living within us we have really the resource that we need within us and 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 he is that's part of his name he is the great counselor so he it speaks of his work in our lives So as we live our lives, we can live it according to our own understanding, according to the devices in our own hearts, or according to the counsel of the Lord that will stand forever. And it's up to us what will we choose. So his name shall be called Wonderful. His name shall be called Counselor. But thirdly, his name shall also be called The Mighty God. There are a couple of responses that we should make as a result of this special name. First of all, we need to believe the divine person of Christ. This speaks of his divine person. Now, there's no question that this name indicates that that little baby boy lying in Bethlehem's manger was no ordinary baby. This name means that little baby was, in fact, God in human flesh. You see, Jesus was, of course, 100% man. And we see that in Isaiah 9 and verse 6. Unto us a child is born. I mean, Jesus as a man experienced hunger. He got tired. He was thirsty. He had human emotion, such as when he wept over the death of his friend Lazarus that I referred to a moment ago. And when he wept over the city of Jerusalem, he experienced physical pain during the crucifixion. He was 100% man, but he also was 100% God. And this title shows that. Not only was he a child that was to be born unto us, but there was going to be a son that was going to be given. And his name was going to be called the mighty God. See, Jesus wasn't just 100% man. He also was 100% God at the same time. John 1, in verse 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then verse 14 says the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. In 1 Timothy three sixteen, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Now who Could that be God manifests in the flesh? Well, there was none other than the Lord Jesus himself. Hebrews 1.8, under the sun, he saith, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. So we see this name clearly declares the deity of the Lord Jesus. And while we may not understand everything about it, we do need to believe it by faith. He is the mighty God. But then not only is we need to believe the divine person of Christ, we need to trust the divine power of Christ. It doesn't just speak to his person. It also speaks again to his power because it doesn't just say the God. It says the mighty God. The word mighty here means powerful. It means chief, strong, valiant one. And Jesus was not only God, but he was the almighty God. Here on this earth. Matthew 28, 18, Jesus came and spake unto them saying, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Listen, is he all powerful? Is he truly the mighty God? Well, if we let him, being that he's all powerful, he can overcome so many things in our lives that many times overcome us. He can overcome our anger. He can overcome our envy, our jealousy, our lust, our depression, our bitterness, our selfishness. I mean, either he has all power or he doesn't. And I'm here to remind you this morning on Christmas Eve that he indeed is all powerful and nothing is impossible with God because his name is the mighty God. One New Year's Day, and I've shared this before, but in case you have forgotten or maybe haven't heard this, one New Year's Day, In the Tournament of Roses parade, a beautiful float suddenly sputtered and quit. It was out of gas. The whole parade was held up until someone could get a can of gas. The amusing thing was that this float represented the standard oil company. (laughs) Whoops. I mean, think about it. With its vast oil resources, its truck was out of gas. There was no excuse. Okay, Christian friend, for those of us who have the Lord Jesus dwelling within, what's our excuse when we sputter and fail and uh, are overcome by some of these temptations in this life? What's our excuse? We have even more resources than the Standard Oil Company had for gas for their float. You and I have infinite resources in the Lord Jesus and he is the mighty God. What's my excuse? What's yours? Do you have a health issue, a financial struggle, struggle with sin, drama in your family, a wayward child, an unsaved relative, things at work aren't going so well? Can I encourage you this morning on this Christmas Eve to trust the divine power of Christ because he is the mighty God? There's a uh, there's a song we sometimes sing here at Cornerstone, he's able... He's able, I know He's able, I know my Lord is able to carry me through. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that He is able to carry you through whatever you may be facing now? At work, at home, wherever you are. Do you believe that He is able to do that? I'm telling you He is. He is is the mighty God. His name is wonderful. His name is Counselor. His name is the mighty God. Two more very quickly this morning. His name is also the everlasting father. The everlasting father. Isaiah 9 and verse 6, unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father. Now, at first glance, this could be confusing theologically since we know that God the Father is not God the Son. One commentator offered this explanation. There is but one Father in the Godhead, and that is the first person. Indeed, Christ and the Father are one, and the Father is in him, and he is in the Father. And he that has seen the one has seen the other, and yet they are distinct. Christ is not the Father. Well, since this is true, what then does this name or title mean of the Lord Jesus, the everlasting father? Well, it first speaks of his everlasting presence. The primary interpretation of this particular name of our savior is that he is the father of eternity. Now, a lot of people believe that Jesus Christ began his existence on that first Christmas as he was born in Bethlehem, as he is born of the virgin mary that's when jesus began his existence absolutely not so he is and always will be the eternal son of god he has always existed and always will exist john 1:1 once again says in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god the same was in the beginning with god so jesus did not have his uh beginning there in bethlehem's manger that's when he became flesh but he has always existed in the beginning. In Colossians 1 verse number 17 says he Jesus is before all things and by him all things consist. So Christ existed before the creation of the world and will exist after this world is long and gone. Revelation 1 and verse 8 Jesus said I am alpha and omega the beginning and the ending saith the Lord which is which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. Now, some of you may know the Greek alphabet a little bit. Uh, Alpha is, of course, the first letter of the Greek alphabet. And omega is the last. So in other words, Jesus is literally both bookends of eternity. He has never had a beginning to his existence and never will have an end to his existence. He is the everlasting father. So this title and name speaks of his everlasting presence and and there's never been a time when Jesus wasn't and there will never be a time when Jesus won't be. He always was and always will be. He's the everlasting father. What does it have to do with me? What does it have to do with you on this Christmas Eve? Well, that means he will always be there for you. I realize many people had their earthly fathers bail on them when they were younger. I can't imagine how that must have felt if that's you. I, My dad is still around and he still wants me to call him and kind of gets frustrated when I don't. <laughs> but I want to mention to you today, based on the authority of the word of God, that he has promised that he will never leave you nor forsake you no matter what happens in your life. He is the everlasting father. Maybe you're going through something very difficult right now. And my friend, he is with you right now and he will be be with you on the other side of whatever you're going through. He's already there because he's not bound by time like you and I are. He's the everlasting father. But That's not the only takeaway from this aspect of his name. There's another one. While it's not the primary application, it's still accurate. It, It speaks of his everlasting provision. Now, I already made the truth clear this morning that there is a definite distinction that Jesus is not the Father. However, Jesus still had the heart of his Father, did he not? In John chapter 14, Philip asked Jesus to show them the Father, and then they would be satisfied if they would just get a glimpse of who the Father was. And Jesus responded with these words, have I been so long with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Anybody know the next word? Father. So Jesus was a visual representation of who the father is. And while on earth, Jesus showed compassion on others as his father would. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He fed the multitudes. And like a father, he was faithful and loving to provide for the needs of those around him. Now, I'm thankful this morning that he has, he has provided for our greatest need. And our greatest need, by the way, wasn't more money or a new government official. One day he's going to set up his kingdom and uh, it's not going to be up to a vote. It's not going to be a democracy. There's going to be no voter fraud. There's going to be no voter drama. I mean, it's going to be very clear who the ruler is in this world and it's going to be Jesus. But he first came to provide an even greater need. Not just someone to rule on this earth, but someone to rule within my heart. Someone to rule within yours too, and to give us the promise of eternal place called heaven and, and the, the the ability to be part of God's family. That was our greatest need, and, and he provided that for us through his sacrifice on the cross. Now, he provided that need. Don't you think then he'd be able to meet your other needs as well? And we all have other needs and things that we get stressed out about and start fretting and biting our fingernails going, what is going to happen in this situation? I don't know how we're going to make it through this. Look, if he met our greatest need, he can meet our other needs as well. It speaks of his everlasting provision. Of course, he is the bread of life, and Jesus was born in what town again? And Bethlehem is called the house of bread. See, he is the bread of life. In other words, he is meant to satisfy our every need and to meet our, our every need, especially our greatest one. So we have the everlasting father. One more this morning, the prince of peace. This is a good one. This is a good, they're all good. They're all wonderful. Well, only one of them is wonderful, technically, but they're all, they're all amazing. This one I love especially, The Prince of Peace. There was a little boy and a girl who were singing their favorite Christmas carol in church the Sunday before Christmas. And the boy concluded Silent Night with the words, Sleep in heavenly beans. No, 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 his sister corrected. Not heavenly beans, heavenly peas. The green peas. Obviously, we know that it's not, there's no peace in peas at all, in my mind. I'm not sure why God allowed those to be created. Nobody get me a can of beans, okay, or peas after church. Um, that's happened before. And uh, let's not do that. That'll make the worst Christmas ever, okay? No, the heavenly host, if you remember when they were telling the shepherds that Jesus was born, they were praising God and they were saying in Luke two fourteen, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. See, truly Jesus did come to bring peace to this earth not necessarily world peace that maybe some of, some of the world wants him to bring. No, he, bring, he came to bring the greatest peace of all. There's three types of peace that Jesus, the Prince of Peace, came to give us. I want to just consider them very quickly this morning. First, he came came to give us peace with God. He came to give us peace with God. And this, by far, is the most important type of peace we could ever have. See, God wants to have peace with you. Maybe you've heard or somebody's asked you the question, or maybe you've asked the question, hey, uh, to somebody, maybe as they're getting up there in years and and they're getting nigh into death, and you may ask them, have you made your peace with God? This is what I'm referring to when I say he came to give us peace with God. See, if you think way back at the beginning of time when God created man, Adam lived in perfect peace. But Then sin entered into the world, and then peace went out the window. Peace was quickly replaced with fear. And Adam and Eve then hid themselves and then proceeded to play the blame game. The consequence of this rebellion have passed upon all men, and you and I were born sinners, enemies of God. Isaiah fifty-three and verse six says, "All we like sheep have gone astray; we have turned every one to his own way." And as a result of that rebellion, as a result of our condition, we are condemned. John three eighteen says, uh, "He." Um, It says, he that believeth not on him is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So look, all of us are sinners. And can I say it a little more relevant with the time? All of us are not on the nice list. We're all on the naughty list. Okay, every one of us. There's not one of us who can say, well, I've done a lot more good than I've done bad this year. It doesn't matter if we've done one thing wrong. We're still in God's mind, in God's list, on the naughty list. We're all sinners. We're all fall short of the glory of God. And as a result, we are condemned. But have you made your peace with God? Well, the truth of the matter is, none of us can actually make peace with God on our own. Only Jesus could do that. And thank God he did. He did. And that's why he came to this earth as a humble baby boy in Bethlehem and lived a perfect and sinless life. That's why he went to an old rugged cross where he was crucified. He was making a way for us to have peace with God. He, the Prince of Peace, was making a way for you and I to have peace with him. He was removing the barrier that was between us and God. What was that barrier? Well, it was sin. And Jesus, the Lamb of God, came to take away the sin of the world. Romans 5 in verse number 1 listen to this verse it's a very powerful verse it's a short one it says therefore being justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ if you do not go through Jesus Christ my friend you are not going to have peace with God Colossians 1:20 and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether there be things in earth or things in heaven, Paul said. In truth, without a relationship with God, there can be no real peace. Isaiah 57 verse 21 says, There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. In Romans chapter 3, Paul said, The destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. And perhaps you've seen the bumper sticker, no Jesus, no peace, no Jesus, no peace. In other words, if you know Jesus, or better yet, know Jesus, then you're gonna know peace. But if there's no Jesus, then there's gonna be no peace in your life. You can try to find it in any other way, but I guarantee you're never gonna find it. There's only one way to experience peace and that's by knowing the Prince of Peace. Peace. So the Prince of Peace came to give us peace with God. Do you have peace with God? Have you been born again? If not, can I recommend December 24th, Christmas Eve, 2023, to make the greatest decision of your life and come to Jesus and be born again? But That's not the only type of peace the Prince of Peace came to give. He came to give us the peace with God, but then he also came to give us the peace of God. This is the inner peace that the Lord gives us in the midst of chaos. He didn't say that, look, you're going to, everything's going to be just wonderful. Everything's going to go the way exactly you want it to go. And everything's going to turn out exactly the way you want it to be. No, no, no. In fact, here's what he said in John 16, These things have I spoken unto you that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. That's a, not exactly my favorite promise in all of the Bible. In this world, you're going to have tribulation. You're going to go through hard times. You're going to experience difficulty. You're going to have heartache. You're going to go through scars. In the world, you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So he came to give us the peace of God that helps us through difficult times in our life. But he also came to give us peace with others. My favorite Christmas song, hands down, is O Holy Night. As I've already mentioned, in one of the stanzas, it says, truly, he taught us to love one another. His law is love, and his gospel is, anybody know? Peace. His gospel is peace. So he came not only to give us peace with God and the peace of God, he also came to help us to have peace with others in our lives. And don't we need that? In one Peanuts cartoon, Lucy said to Charlie Brown, I hate everything. I hate everybody. I hate the whole world. Well, Charlie responded, but I thought you had inner peace. And Lucy re- replied, I do have inner peace, but I still have outer obnoxiousness. <laughs> well, well, Lucy, I have news for you. If we do indeed have internal peace, the peace of God ruling in our hearts, then it's going to show out really as well. We'll want to work at external peace, peace with others. Paul said in Romans 12, 18, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men, with all men, with those at home. We're to live peaceably with those at home. We're to live peaceably with our spouse, with our parents, with our children, with our siblings, with our siblings. Are we listening? Third row, Cornerstone Baptist Church. With those at church, are we listening? All the rows, Cornerstone Baptist Church. Our brothers and sisters in Christ, we're to be uh, live peaceably with all men, with our pastor, our neighbors, our co-workers, all men. As if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. See, Jesus came as the Prince of Peace to provide these three types of peace. Okay, so we made it through all five aspects of his name. And these names formed together indicate loud and clear that Jesus is the ultimate hope. He's wonderful, the counselor, or he's wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. By the way, it's not just five different names. They're actually, this is one name. This is a fivefold name given to Jesus. You can't really break these apart. It's kind of like my name is Eric Timothy Johnson. You, you can call me Timothy all you want, but my whole that's my whole name. And and that's what that's what's saying, that's what he's saying here is his name is it's not names are his names are wonderful counselor of the mighty God. No, his name is Wonderful Counselor of the Mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And 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 he's all of those. I mean, it would be enough, honestly, if. If he was wonderful, that, 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 that was it. But he's not just wonderful, he's also counselor. And again, it would be enough if he was just counselor, but he's also wonderful counselor. And, and, and then he's also the mighty the mighty God. And it would be enough if that was it. It would be enough if he was the everlasting father. It would be enough if he was the prince of peace. But he's all five of those in one. My brothers and sisters, he's the ultimate hope. But not only is he the ultimate hope, he's also the only hope. There is no other hope. You say, well, he may be the ultimate hope, but there's other hopes out there, aren't there? No, there's not. There's no hope in any other. So I'm here to tell you this morning, not to offend anyone, but to tell you the truth that there's no hope in the Pope. By the way, the Pope has changed In recent days, if you've been paying attention to the news, Jesus Christ never does same yesterday, today, and forever. He remains the same. So there's no hope in the Pope. There's no hope in Muhammad. There's no hope in Buddha. There's no hope in the pastor of Cornerstone Baptist Church. I can't save you. I can't do anything to help you uh, other than point you to the one who can. There's no hope in your religion. There's no hope in any amount of good works. There's no hope within us. There's only one hope, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 14 and verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. In other words, he was saying I'm the only hope. Not only am I the ultimate hope, I'm the only hope. So if you don't come through Jesus, friend, you're not getting to heaven. You're not going to be forgiven of sin. You're not going to be part of God's family. I'm sorry. You can try to go some other route, but you're not going to get there. There's only one hope, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Peter said in Acts chapter 4, and verse 12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. He said, there's only one hope. There's only one hope. And thank God that God provided us a hope. His name is Jesus. If you're here today and then you've never trusted in the son that was given, the child that was born, can I encourage you to make this your greatest Christmas of your entire life by coming to Jesus and being born again? I'll share my quick testimony and then we'll wrap it up today. It was Christmas night, 1988, and I was um, going to church at that time in my life. My parents were dragging me to church and and I was working through a religious booklet, trying to uh, work through that booklet to earn different badges and get promoted to the next rank. And and one of the things that I had to do in there was I had to memorize John 3, 16, 17, and 18. I had to memorize the 23rd Psalm. I had to read through one of the Gospels, so of course I chose Mark because it was the shortest of the four. I had to do certain things. I had to learn how to tie certain knots, I had to do certain good works. But then finally, I came across a question in my booklet there on Christmas night, and how fitting was that? And it said, please write the date that you receive Christ as your savior. I remember looking at that thing and going, man, I know I've heard about this so many times throughout my 12 years of life. But honestly, I've never made that decision. And I thought, man, if I, if I write today's date in here, if I decide to make this decision today, then, then everybody, all my leaders are gonna come talking to me saying, Eric, I thought you were already a Christian. What's, what, what's been your problem? Why, didn't, why did you wait until now? And that was the devil kind of whispering, hey, don't, don't make that decision now. Pretend and fake it. Pick a date way back and go ahead and lie on it and pick a date way back in the past so that no one will talk to you. And I thought, nope, I know enough to know that this is the most important decision of my entire life. And so right then and there, I turned my chair. I don't know why I did this, but I turned my chair and bowed my head and I asked the Lord Jesus to be my savior. And I placed my faith and trust in him alone as my only hope. Turned my chair back around and I wrote December twenty-five. 1988. And I kind of thought, at this point, I don't care if they talk to me because I know I took care of the most important decision of my entire life. If we were to pass around a piece of paper to everybody in the room today and and I were to say, please write the date or the year or the time of your life when you placed your faith in Christ, could you do it? I'm not saying you need to remember the exact date because it was easy for me to remember Christmas night. That's an easy date to remember. But can you remember, yeah, when I was about 15 or 16 years old, that's when I placed my faith in Christ. If there hasn't been a time, can I encourage you today, hey, he's the ultimate hope and he's the only hope. Today's the day you need to take care of that. And I want to encourage you to do that. Look, you're going to probably get some gifts as we go through the next several hours of today and tomorrow and beyond. But there's no greater gift than the gift that was given there on that first Christmas night there in wrapped, not in wrapping paper, but in swaddling clothes. That was the greatest gift and it was given for you. But have you opened it? Have you received it for yourself? I would encourage you to do that. For those of us who have, he's still the ultimate hope for us as we live our Christian lives. Let's not look to anything else. Let's look to him. He's our great counselor. He is wonderful in the way he works in our lives. He is the mighty God. We need to trust him. He His presence is everlasting in our life. And he does give us that peace that passes all understanding. And I'm thankful for it. And he can help us have peace with one another as well. The ultimate hope. Let's pray together.